Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, we sit down with Kate Lawrence and Chris Rorick. Kate is a certified woundostomy continence nurse and a past president for the WOCN Society. Currently, she serves as the public policy and advocacy coordinator for the society. Chris Rorick is the director of government relations for the society. Today, we're going to be getting an update on what's going on with public policy and advocacy, some of the changes in the society's public policy and advocacy website, and just an overall update of what's going on in the news related to WOC practice. Thanks so much for joining me, Kate and Chris, on what's becoming our couple of times a year podcast update on everything about PPNA. So I'm excited to have you here tonight. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think since COVID is on the upswing, at least in the Northeast where I live, why don't we start with an update about COVID-19 related activities? I know the last time we spoke, we spent quite a bit of time chatting about it. Wondering maybe, Chris, if you can help us with an update about any new legislation or what's going on with phasing out of the many waivers that were authorized and that kind of stuff. Sure, we would be happy to. So there are two separate policy actions that have taken place. There are the administrative actions that uh, the Trump administration and CMS have taken through what are called the 1135 waivers, which gives the secretary of HHS the discretion to waive particular regulations during a public health emergency. And we are still in a declaration of a public health emergency. And CMS has just updated their emergency declaration blanket waivers for healthcare providers. They updated it on November 27th. There are a number of them. So rather than going through all of them here, we'll update that and make sure that that document is on our website. But as long as the public health emergency declaration is in order, these blanket waivers will stay in place. That updated list, again, will be on our website. The second action, of course, is legislative action. Congress has passed to this point four COVID-related stimulus-slash-relief bills, and they are hoping to get a final bill done and out the door before the end of session, but time is not on their side as the session will end at the end of December, and then the new session of Congress will begin in January. There is renewed discussion about a pared-down package, so This will be sort of a temporary relief package to get us through this next surge, as you mentioned, probably through the first quarter of next year. So not probably a comprehensive package that the House had passed earlier in the year, which included emergency pay for providers and a much more expensive and comprehensive bill. We're looking at something slimmed down significantly that will provide relief to employers, most likely, and perhaps those who are rent-dependent through this first quarter. So that is the latest from Capitol Hill. They're hoping to pass that package again before December. So we'll have to see what specific healthcare pieces of legislation sort of bleeding into one of our other topics, but the Lymphedema Treatment Act 
is something that has already passed the House and we're hoping and have made a push to get that through Congress by the end of the session. Otherwise, we obviously have to start all over again. So the thought would be to get this attached to a COVID relief bill because that is must-pass legislation. So we'll be working hard to get our legislative priorities into this package should Congress act before the end of the year. And there were some things in the last one that ended up in the legislation that we were pretty excited about, if I remember from our last podcast. There were. The Home Health Care Planning Act, which has been a long legislative priority of much of the nursing community, which allows the nursing profession to order home health, that was included in one of the prior COVID relief packages. So that is now law and that will be permanent. That is something that was extended temporarily as a waiver, but Congress saw fit to include that as a permanent provision. So we were happy about that. And hopefully this next package will provide a vehicle for the Lymphedema Treatment Act. Great. And so what's the early word on what's going to be happening with the Biden administration in terms of policy and legislation that WOC nurses might be interested in? Are you hearing anything about that, Chris? Well, mostly at this point, there's discussion. Obviously, President-elect Biden ran on a few very broad healthcare principles. A lot of them depended on what the Supreme Court action would be on the Affordable Care Act which they heard oral arguments on the challenge to strike down the Affordable Care Act from a number of attorneys general early in November. And they're likely to have a ruling on that in late spring. But from the oral arguments, it appears unlikely that they will strike down the entire ACA. They may find some provisions unconstitutional, but the indications are that it will remain the law of the land with perhaps a few minor details. So We won't probably see any major legislative action or administrative action until, again, that first quarter of next year, until the Supreme Court has settled that and we sort of know what the policy playing field will be going forward. But some of the broad strokes that President-elect ran on was to lower the minimum wage requirement for Medicare to introduce what would be a public option, which would be a Medicare-type program for anyone who wanted it not mandating it, but giving it as an option. And I think we'll see probably more states step up and adopt the Medicaid expansion, knowing now that the ACA is the law of the land. So I suspect we'll see a lot of action around sort of these federal health care programs and bolstering the number of folks who are eligible for federal health care programs. That's obviously good and bad. On the one hand, you've got people with access to health care who can't otherwise afford it. On the other hand, a lot of the federal programs, as a lot of our members know, have more restrictive policies with regard to supplies. So while more coverage is better than no coverage, I think we'll continue to have this battle of making sure that our supplies are covered adequately for those folks who are now eligible for these federal programs. That'll be a big challenge in the coming years. One other thing to consider about the Biden's health care agenda is we still don't know the composition or control of the Senate going into the next session, as we have two Senate seats in Georgia that are up for special elections. So if both of those are lost to the current Republicans who hold those seats, then Democrats technically have the majority and a 50-50 split. So a Democratic-controlled majority would be a little more likely to push some of these options, such as the lowering the Medicare or a public option, whereas Republican-controlled Senate, I think, are less likely to adopt those. So a lot 
of what happens with regard to health care will be determined by what happens in the Georgia special elections in January. And I understand that the society has some new DME guidance documents released. I wondered if maybe, Kate, you could tell us a little bit about what's going on with that. Oh, I'd be delighted to do that. We do have a really nice document that's come out with some guidance to it as well. It's focused on the use of ostomy durable medical equipment, and it's really for the WOC nurse to use to help the patient get access to the supplies through the provider that will be ordering the supplies for the long term. So as we all know, depending on our work area, if you are in acute care, the long-term durable medical equipment ordering is usually when you discharge the patient, that usually goes perhaps short-term to the surgeon, but oftentimes it might go to the primary care physician who really has no idea what they're ordering for the patient and sort of quantities and why and sometimes in some cases, why they're ordering them. So this is a guidance document for the providers to go with the patient as well as to share provider to provider. So the WOC nurse in acute care could share it with the home care nurse. The home care nurse down the road could then share it with the primary provider who will be doing the final ordering. And it can then also be shared with the DME company that's going to be allotting out the durable medical equipment or the ostomy supplies. So we set it up to be a simple sort of checkoff list, but it includes important information as contact numbers for the supply company, the patient's date of birth, and generally outlines the type of pouching equipment that the patient would need, including accessory products. So it looks at quantity and brand. It's a pretty easy sheet to fill out. Our intent was that this would be able to be provided to the patient as a reference for when they need to have conversations with their physicians, as well as to be sent to the primary provider who would probably be writing the prescriptions for the patient down the road or to the home care agency because that will help clarify to the home care agency what supplies they may need to provide the patient. And then hopefully the home care agency would share with the primary physician. So we see it being used a number of ways. This is, document is very similar to one that the United Ostomy Association has on their resource center for patients. It's just a little bit more technical from kind of the WOC nursing standpoint. So we're hoping that it will help people be able to use this as a communication value for communicating within providers. This is not a prescription order form. That's what I want to be really clear about. This does not substitute for the prescriptions that would be needed to be written and sent to DME companies. And also for insurance purposes and reimbursement, there are documentation requirements that need to be in the patient's medical record that addresses the presence of the stoma and the whether it diverts urine or stool, the location of the stoma, the diagnosis, all those things need to be in the medical record or somewhere in a physician's note, for example, for the DME folks to have as a backup. That's a Medicare requirement. We also wanted to use this kind of opportunity to launch this template to remind people that we had a sample of medical necessity also on our website in our tools section that is really great for using, for advocating for patients to have access to the correct supplies. 
if there's substitutions that are being happening or if there's a particular reason an accessory is needed or if there's a quantity problem. This sample of medical necessity would be really useful for folks to be using. So those are two documents, one old and one new, that we just highlighted in the last month. And all of those are available on our website. It's pretty prominent under the tools section. It's also under, I believe, the ostomy section, looking at documents when you sign in the website and, and log in and go to documents in the section where there's JWOC and the library and our documents. It's located there. It's also, you can get it through the front page on the public policy and advocacy as well. So there's a couple ways to get this document. Okay, good. And I'll mention that again at the end of the podcast in case somebody missed that now, just those links. So they're available now then, right? Oh, yes. Okay, great. So we really have a lot of things up in the air. And maybe the next time I have you two on, you'll have a better indication of where things are really heading, it sounds like. Yeah, I think by the first quarter of the next year, we'll have a better idea of what the policy landscape looks like. Okay, great. And can one of you talk a little bit about the region and affiliate toolkits? I know that I've heard that they're coming and just tell us what they are and who will use them and all that kind of stuff. I would be glad to try to take a stab at that. So quite some time ago, we met with the regional affiliate leadership and had a dialogue about how public policy and advocacy at the national level could help the region and affiliates develop some acumen in public policy and advocacy. And what we heard from the leaders were, we really wanted sort of public policy and advocacy in a box. We're having trouble figuring out if we get someone to be our public policy coordinator in our region or affiliate, what we want them to do. We're having difficulty figuring out how to environmentally scan, things like that. So we set out to try to create a region and affiliate public policy and toolkit, which is located on the WOCN.org page in a resource center for the regions and affiliates. And it includes a job description for the public policy advocacy representative, which we've tried to kind of make broad enough so each region or affiliate, because they all work a little differently, would be able to somewhat standardize the role around some common concepts. We have a direct link in that resource center to our WOCN National Public Policy and Advocacy Hot Topics. We have a direct linkage to the Taking Action platform, with, and we developed a frequently asked question guideline, and we'll talk a little bit about how this works when we talk about lymphedema and voter voice, but it's all around the voter voice platform. Is the same as the Taking Action platform. That's the other name of it. And how to use that at a local level, because we can use our taking action platform and we can use it for state-based queries and state-based communications with your state senators and House of Representatives. And for example, Jody, remember when New York nurses worked on getting Medicaid in New York to cover some pediatric pouches that were available and all of you folks kind of got together and did a campaign in Albany this taking action platform would allow you to create letters and to share with other New York nurses to advocate for a very specific issue at hand that was legislation or policy and make it easy for everyone to have their voice heard. So as a region and affiliate resource center, we also have communication templates that we've created 
so that folks who were the representatives for public policy and advocacy at that local level would have a template on how to communicate issues forward to other regions or to national. So we're trying to build kind of a communication space with some guidelines and some templates so that people have more sense of how they can be helpful if they're going to sign up to be a volunteer to do public policy and advocacy. I think we also have linked to our podcast that Chris, you and I have done, the last two in this resource center. We have a link to our healthcare agenda. And then we updated the Grassroots Toolkit, and it's a very nice on-the-line now online toolkit with a very easy maneuverability to find out very specific sections on how to advocate and do grassroots work without being overwhelmed by an entire document. So we created this toolkit for access to our region and affiliate public policy and advocacy volunteers, and we're hoping that it will help promote communication from the region and affiliate or the grassroots level back to the WOCN Society, Chris and myself, and the coordinator group, and also anything that we need to push out will be perhaps more easily caught by the region affiliate representatives by using some of these templates and communication avenues. So we're really excited about this. We're hoping it will help. And I think we did do a webinar with the folks who the leaders of the regions and affiliates to roll this out. Again, just letting region affiliates know that we're available as a resource to them to the extent we can and to make sure we're passing along our legislative and regulatory updates to them so that they can keep their members informed. It's really the point of the program. Yes, and we also put in this little toolkit, access to the public policy forum, which now exists alongside the wound, ostomy, and continents, WTA forums that we have a public policy forum. And that we were hoping that in time, because we are all learning and we are all growing our wings in public policy and advocacy, both as an organization and all of us as WOC nurses are learning how to start putting on the shoes and socks of public policy and advocacy. And it's a learning curve, but we're hoping that the public policy forum will be a place where if people have questions or want to share information. For example, let's just say in the Northeast region, for example, there are many region and affiliates and perhaps the, I'm going to use you as an example if you don't mind again, Jody, perhaps the folks in the Albany area have found out that there's an issue related to some sort of, let's say, reimbursement around ostomy belts with Blue Cross Blue Shield in your area. And perhaps it's a particular industry that carries that particular policy. You would be able to communicate through the public policy forum to all the other regions and affiliates in your region and other regions asking, like maybe you'd want to ask the folks in Michigan whether they're having that issue with Blue Cross Blue Shield. You would be able to communicate through this public policy forum and put a query out to see if there is a problem elsewhere. Because sometimes we find that issues with reimbursement for supplies in particular is based on the carrier of the insurance and what insurance the patient actually purchases from the carrier as well as how it's implemented in each particular state. You won't find that so much under Medicare, for example, which has sort of a 
pretty national based. There are some local coverage decisions, but they kind of all sing to the same song, sort of really. But when you get different insurances, you can have different payments for different things and it can be regionally based. Or Medicaid is another example. And people find difficulty with Medicaid. Well, one way to try to get something fixed with Medicaid would be to find out if all the other six states in your area have the same policy or not and maybe advocate for change as a group. So we're hoping down the road as we grow our wings and we get a little bit stronger in flying in public policy and advocacy that we will be able to use these tools to our advantage. It sounds like all of this work has really made the process much more efficient and easier for the nurse who doesn't really have much time. I think you have made it so user-friendly and quick to be able to both get information and to do some type of action, like reach out to a representative or something. It's really nice. I know when I've done things in the past, you sort of were winging it because you didn't really know what to say and who to say it to and who to ask for information. So I think you've really done a great job in providing all that for our members. Well, thank you. And I am very thankful for Chris for his guidance on how to kind of pull these things together so that they might make sense for our consumers who are our WOC nurse members who advocate for their patients. I mean, 90% of who we're advocate. well, let's just say 60% of who we advocated for the patients and the other 40 plus is we're advocating for ourselves <laughs> and our membership. So it certainly is more efficient when you have all these tools available to be able to do it for sure. So I also noticed a really nice infographic on competitive bidding on the website when I was kind of getting prepared to chat with you tonight. So I wondered if one of you could, first of all, just tell our listeners what competitive bidding is so we're sure that everybody understands it, and then talk a little bit about that document and what's going on with that. Chris, I'm going to give you the floor for this one. So essentially, the competitive bidding program run through CMS allows them to ask suppliers of DME to submit their price point for a particular product category, and then awards contracts to those, presumably with the lowest price, to then distribute those product categories. Some products can work within that system, but we have long believed that ostomy and urological supplies do not work within that system because they are highly customizable, as the membership knows, and one product category does not fit all, nor does one price point fit all. So they are not well suited. But unfortunately, dating back to even the Obama administration, in some of their budget requests, they made a request to include ostomy and neurological supplies, as have, dating back to 2018, MedPAC, which is the advisory body to Congress on Medicare issues. They just, again, make policy recommendations, non-binding, but they recommended that ostomy and neurological supplies be added to the competitive bidding program. We have opposed that with a number of other folks as part of the Access and Care Coalition. And to date, those supplies have not been added. And in fact, the program had been paused for the last several years, competitive bidding program, and was scheduled to go back into effect in 2021. But they have, again, effectively delayed. They've added only two product categories for the upcoming year, none of which are relevant to our membership but did not include many other product categories that were scheduled to go up 
due to some pressure from Congress with regard to the pandemic and limiting suppliers at this time. So they have scaled back competitive bidding for now. They have not yet formally proposed to include Austin urological supplies, but I think it will always be out there. The effectiveness of this program is that it saves a lot of money, and that's what is attractive to CMS and some policymakers. But again, we don't feel like these customizable devices fit well within the program, and we'll continue to oppose them at every turn. Gotcha. And then you said something in the infographic about a phase two for that program. What is that? What's that all about, Chris? Yeah, so this phase two was the next program that was supposed to have rolled out in this next year. But again, that's been rolled back due to COVID. So while not explicitly saying that, CMS decided not to include additional product categories. So it is effectively delayed at least until 2022 for adding new product categories. So that's good for our members and our patients then? Correct. For 2021, only new products going competitively bid are off-the-shelf back and knee braces. No other additional product categories will be added to competitive bidding for the next year. And then we started to talk a little bit early on about the Lymphedema Treatment Act, and I know that that passed. Where are we at with that and what needs to happen from our standpoint to get that all finished and tied up in a bow? Sure. So the Lymphedema Treatment Act, which just to remind folks, will allow Medicare to provide compression therapy as a treatment during diagnosis, as a prophylactic treatment for a number of things, including lymphedema and venous leg ulcers, which we all know ultimately saves money down the line, but statutory restraints restrict CMS from adding that particular supply for coverage. So it will take congressional action. As mentioned, the provisions did pass as part of a much larger bill in the House earlier this year, which would allow the federal government to negotiate Part D drug prices within Medicare. That is not going anywhere, but we're hopeful that the Lymphedema Treatment Act language gets pulled out of that bill as it's already passed the House and can be included in whatever relief package goes before the end of the year. Otherwise, will be have to be reintroduced again in the 117th Congress uh, starting in January. So we have sent out a member alert to ask your member of Congress or members of Congress to include that and pass the bill before the end of the year. Please keep a lookout for that or go to Voter Voice, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute. And we've got an alert all set up for you, ready to go on the Lymphedema Treatment Act. Yes, we do. So this is really important, and I know that we're hoping to get this podcast out fairly soon, but if you missed it, we sent out an alert or request just recently to participate in, again, sending letters to your representatives, both House and Senate, to support the Lymphedema Treatment Act. And it is on Voter Voice. You can reach it two ways. You can reach through the Voter Voice tab that's on the web page, or you can also go through Hot Topics, and it gives you the background that Chris just gave us verbally, as well as a tab to push to get directly to Voter Voice. And Voter Voice, as I mentioned in the region and affiliate conversation, is something that we can use both for federal communications as well as local communications, like statewide or regional. But in this case, we're using it for a federal campaign. And so when you go into Voter Voice, all you do is put your zip code in. It populates who your representatives are, and 
a little letter comes up and you can add to it if you wish or you can send it just as it is. It's about a three-click process. Put your name there and your address and your zip code and off you communicate to your representatives that you support, in this case, the passage of the Lymphedema Treatment Act. And it takes very little time. It takes longer for your computer to turn up than it does to do this process. So I encourage everyone to try it if you haven't done it. If you have done it, do it again. I sent it off to my folks. They have been supporting this both in the House and the Senate, but I wanted them to know that as a citizen who they represent, I support this and that I want their voice to continue to be strong. So it's really a cool asset that we now have as part of our public policy and advocacy toolkit in a big way and in a little way. (laughs) So you'll be able to change that topic on that voter voice as things come up, I'm guessing. And then if there's another thing that we need to be contacting our reps about, that, that issue will be on the tile at that time. Is that right? Yes. And you can also, there's ways to go in and there's a welcome tab and it can walk you through how to do something. For example, it says find legislation and maybe you would look at legislation in the state. You can also do state-based things with this. So yes, it's not just us pushing it out. We can also use this. It's for use by our members to discuss public policy and advocacy issues. Now, that said, if folks are going to use it for their state or their region-based stuff, Chris and I would love to know about it so that we can also perhaps add assistance in whatever efforts people are doing at a local level. So you'll see this used two ways in the future. One, pushed out by the WOCN Society, by Chris and myself, who have found a topic that needs our membership to have a voice in, or we may see it used at a region affiliate where we're all trying to band a group of people to support something. Wow, that sounds like a nice versatile tool to be efficient again in getting out the word to people. Yes, it's very exciting and very easy to use in all aspects. So, And there's a guidance tool in our region and affiliate toolkit on how to utilize this as well. Okay, well, you covered everything, you two. I'm so impressed. I also found a really nice white paper on reimbursement opportunities for advanced practice nursing. So it looks different. Is there new content in that, Kate? Or is that, I've used that document in the past. It's really helpful for especially new WOC advanced practice nurses. But tell us about what's going on with that. Is that just look prettier or is it, what's up with that? Oh, I think it looks prettier. Yes, it does. I think it got a little face wash. It's only about a year old. Right, Chris? I think 2019 is December, January 2020 is when we put these two documents out. I think the print date on it may be or board pass might be 2019. But the reimbursement opportunities for WOC nursing services for the Medicare payment for advanced practice nurses is a fact sheet that we developed. It's a very comprehensive fact sheet. What we found was that advanced practice nurses were not necessarily getting the information that they needed on how to understand and implement coding, billing, and charging as an advanced practice WOC nurse. And so this is basically takes the information out there and puts it in a usable format and a fairly easy to follow format that gives advanced practice nurses guidance on how they can participate in making sure they're billing, coding, efforts are 
being as fruitful as they could be and as legal as they could be. It is not, well, I shouldn't use the word legal, that's a no-no. It's not a legal document. It takes the information that's available through CMS, condenses it, and kind of organizes it in a manner that I believe is easier for the advanced practice nurse to utilize. This is information that we have been told by our advanced practice colleagues that they aren't really getting anywhere else. So we felt it was important to redo the old document and update it and give a lot more explanation in many of the areas. So this document is available in our document library and in the companion piece is on how to bill for incident two, which is where the advanced practice nurse or the physician or the PA can use the incident two service coding to be able to cover care that's provided by the baccalaureate nurse, WOC nurse, who under the current Medicare regulations cannot bill many of the codes independently. They usually can only bill evaluation and management codes or room codes. So the incident two allows um, additional coding under the primary provider. So those two documents are in the document library. And We're very excited, although as I was preparing to think about this podcast, I realized, oh, it's been a year. (laughs) I suppose I should put on my list to ask Chris how often we need to redo that document, and I expect it will probably be less than five years, the way that Medicare writes rulings and things, and things change regularly. I wonder if the pandemic also with video and remote visits will require some changes to that for that document as well. Yes, the whole telehealth piece was touched upon on that document, but not as heavily as what people are probably doing right now. Who knew when the document was developed? Great. And so we talked a little bit about the WOCN forums and now that public policy section. So currently, just so I'm clear, so I understand it. So that form right now is designed for region and affiliate public policy coordinators or people that have that role on those levels. Is that correct? But eventually it will be something that's open to more people in terms of information sharing? Yes, I believe it's designed for region affiliates, but I also believe it's set up so that anyone can sign up. We had a discussion when we were at first working with our staff team about that. And Chris, if I remember correctly, I think the final was that anyone could sign up for it. I believe so, yes. However, that said, if anyone had any concerns or issues, again, on the webpage under public policy and advocacy, there is a tile that allows you to send info or questions or queries to Chris and myself under the public policy tab. And those things are fielded and we address them as soon as we possibly can. So if there were concerns, questions, issues, anything, we're available for the general membership at large in regards to public policy and advocacy queries. Okay, great. And is there anything else going on that we should talk about or that we need to keep an eye on or kind of what's on your radar for the two of you? I mean, we talked a little bit about some of the very broad topics of that the Biden administration and or Congress might address. But beyond sort of the campaign bullet points, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about how this pandemic has reshaped healthcare policy. And you touched on a little bit of that now, just to give folks a little perspective. According to CMS, prior to 
the pandemic, about 13,000 beneficiaries accessed telehealth services. Now that number is almost 1.7 million. So clearly we have a whole new environment with regard to telehealth. And CMS has already moved forward doing what they can to expand telehealth on a permanent basis independently. They've included, I think, 135 services to the latest telehealth list. But as you mentioned, there are some problems with what they're able to do independently, some statutory requirements, whether you can see patients out of state via telehealth, whether how you bill incident two or NPP non-physician providers via telehealth. Are they able to participate and or bill? So there are a lot of sort of second tier policy issues that are going to have to be addressed. So I see Congress as wanting to take that up in the next session as a priority. I think you've heard a little bit about surprise billing. This is not necessarily something that our members are terribly concerned about, but certainly is a big healthcare issue that Congress and the administration, both outgoing and ingoing, want to see addressed, and that is patients being unwillingly billed for out-of-service providers. A lot of media coverage on that, and Congress is close to trying to address that, but hasn't yet. So if again, if it's not in that next package in the next year, they'll have to address it in the coming year. And other things, some of these other waivers that we have talked about, folks will have to start looking about, do we extend those beyond the pandemic? So it'll be a really interesting time. The Trump administration had taken some steps to try and break down some of the scope barriers within Medicare, wanting advanced practice nurses and other, again, non-physician practitioners to be able to do more and provide more services. Some of those barriers were broken down during the waivers, but they would like to see some taken on a more permanent basis. So it'll be interesting to see if the Biden administration picks that up and continues to illustrate the need to have more providers do more even after a pandemic. So those are some of the big ticket items I think we'll be looking on our scope of practice expansion, telehealth, prescription drug coverage, and surprise billing, again, probably in the first half of the next session. Have you heard anything about phone versus video encounters? In my area, we are kind of hearing rumors that the telephone encounters won't be covered, but like a video encounter would be. Is that like just rumor or do you know anything about that? Well, a lot of that comes down to what the particular service is or what you would be billing for. But yes, that's another one of those issues where there's not clear statutory language on some of this because a lot of the telehealth authorizing legislation was done prior to a lot of the video consultations that are going on now. So while some codes, it makes a lot of sense and there's not much question, there are other things about can you do this via video and is video the same as just a telephone conference and not really the name telehealth is a bit of a misnomer now so we need to reimagine what that means going forward so yes you've touched on one of the issues where they need to clarify which devices qualify for reimbursement on particular services kate i think you started to say something and i interrupted you so i'm sorry about that that's fine there's just a couple of other things i just want folks to know we're still working on and we communicate this on a regular basis through our quarterly updates so keep looking at those quarterly updates because we'll let you know where we're on on our track but we are working towards a non-surgical fistula 
couching equipment coverage. We have a policy paper that we have written in collaboration with the United Ostomy Association and some of our corporate leaders. We're looking at night drainage coverage for high output ostomies as something that there's a gap for that right now. We have a support letter focused on sending that to CMS. We have looked at, and there's various ways we want to strategize on this, but basically the ostomy supply coding system and quantity system hasn't been looked at in over 26 years. And we were part of the review 26 years ago. So we're looking at what's the best way to volunteer our services to relook at those ostomy codes and quantities to see where there's missing, there's gaps in coverage for things that either have been developed in the past 26 years or where we have found there's a need. And fistula supplies for non-surgical fistulas and, and night drainages are two of the examples of just instead of doing things one at a time, maybe we should be relooking at all of the ostomy codes and where there's gaps. So we're working on sort of a project and a strategy for that. And we are still working on educating the world at large about assisted living and issues around individuals with ostomies who are not being allowed to return to their assisted living locations or being denied access to assisting living locations because they have an ostomy because ostomies are considered to be in a category equal to feeding tubes and trachs, which we are on a campaign to educate folks that living with an ostomy is more about personal care than it is about high technology. So we're working on that and we will be communicating with our members along that journey for each one of those topics. So I just wanted to bring those back around again. Great. So I put my vote in for the ostomy supplies for barrier rings, because if you ever try to get more than 10 a month for a patient, it's a nightmare. So that's my personal vote on the supply issues that have changed in the 20 five years. Okay, thank you. No problem. That's a daily frustration in my work life. What else? I know what we've talked about this other times we've been together, but what do you both suggest for listeners who are interested in this area of healthcare to be better informed and then maybe better able to act when we need people to write support letters? And what do you suggest for people? A couple of quick recommendations and then maybe turn it over to Kate about the simple stuff. Obviously, watch for updates coming from the society. Don't opt out of emails because we are including more and more public policy updates and everything that goes out. Watch out for the campaigns via voter voice and the quarterly updates. So those are the easy things. But the other thing I would recommend is that folks sign up for updates from federal agencies and their state agencies. It's fairly easy. You can get as much or as little information as you want. It can easily become too much information. So be careful what you ask for. But go to CMS and sign up for updates. And you can walk through and be pretty prescriptive about the stuff that you want to get updates on. Same for CDC and or HRQ or any number of agencies within HHS. So go to HHS and Within the website, you'll say sign up for updates, and you can go through and, again, sign up for as little or as much information as you want. That's a quick and easy thing to do to become more informed. And while I'm not familiar with all the states and their state departments of health, I suspect they have similar arrangements where you can sign up for information, and a lot of it can be specifically tailored to providers. So 
those are a couple quick recommendations about how to keep yourself well informed. And I think I realize that what we need to do probably as members of this organization and as interested nursing professionals who are trying to help our patients and help the promotion of our profession, that we need to just start having conversations about public policy and advocacy things. When you get the updates from us and there's an opportunity to ask a question, ask the question. If there's something that you found that you've run across, jot it down in your work life and then sometime within the next week or two, put it out there on the public policy forum or put it out there and ask us a question. I think there's all kinds of opportunities at the regional and affiliate level to have conversations about what's going on with access to supplies. I mean, just one simple focus, access to supplies for your patients. What are you finding? And Jody, I bet that your frustration with barrier sales is something that's being felt across the country, but nobody's really talking about it. So we don't quite know about that. Our colleague in Michigan, Carol Bauer, found out that there was a disparity between how many wafers she could get and how many pouches (laughs) and how many seals and how many clips. And she made a big improvement in her Blue Cross Blue Shield carrier in Michigan by having that single voice. But oh, how powerful she would have been if she could have joined all the WOC nurses in Michigan and had the conversation with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, God bless Carol. She got something changed just by being persistent and by recognizing it was a problem. But having that conversation with 20 people advocating for something makes a really big difference. So I think my suggestion is let's keep having the conversations. Let's keep making sure we take a little bit of time. When you read something and you don't quite understand it, send us a message. Say, I don't really quite understand what you're saying about this. Can you clarify it for me? Or I found out this about my patient. Can you help me understand it any better? We want to make sure that what we're doing is bringing value around public policy and advocacy to our membership here in the WOCN. And that we're meeting your needs as well as the patients that you serve. And we can't do that without talking about it. It's a pillar of our organization. So it's really important on a lot of levels. All right. What else is important that I should have asked you about? I tried to think of all the important things from my perspective, but what else? Is there anything else we should mention? I can't think of anything that we haven't already touched on from my perspective. Yeah, I think we focused on some of the things that we have sort of on that are moving, starting to bubble on the stove, starting to get some traction. There's a whole big laundry list of other things that we keep an eye on that are perhaps not bubbling so much. But I will say just, I didn't mention it, but I think, and it will be in our update, but we are participating with the United Austrian Association on a quality initiative that they're working on based on their patient bill of rights. So the WOCN Society has a seat at the table for that project. And that that's really something that I think Chris and I are very committed to because we want to be in that quality sphere. That's how we advocate for our members is looking at quality of care and what the WOC nurse brings to the table to facilitate quality of care for their patients with wounds, ostomy, incontinence. And this project with the UOAA is quality-based. So I'm excited about that. That's great. Well, maybe next time we're on a podcast together, you'll have an update about that for us. Absolutely. I hope so. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on again tonight. I really appreciate it. And 
hopefully we'll be able to have you back on real soon for another update for all of our listeners. Thanks for having us. Happy to do it. For more information on the Public Policy and Advocacy tab of the WOCN website, go to wocn.org backslash public dash policy dash advocacy. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Walk Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.